Welcome to On Mission, the teaching ministry of the Mission Church in Urbandale, Iowa. We exist to love God by loving others, leading them to become fully functioning followers of Jesus Christ. See, kids, that's how you do it, big and strong and loud. We're glad that all of you are here this morning. My name is Brett Riceley. I'm the associate pastor of discipleship, and we're glad that you guys are all here today, whether you are a young person or a person that's older than young people. I can't say old people because that would be offensive, right? Of all ages, we're glad that you're here today. Today, we are kicking off a new sermon series called Family on Mission. It's going to be a five-week series on family discipleship and the importance of the family in raising godly children to know the Lord and to pass it on from generation to generation. And so as we get into this, I want to ask you guys, the parents, the adults really in the room, how many of you adults in here have a job? Raise your hands. Good. Most of you are employed. That's good. How many of you, of those of you who have jobs, how many of you have a job description? Raise your hands. Is that helpful? Is it helpful to have a job description? Yeah. Because what is a job description for? For the kids in the room that may not know what a job description is, a job description tells the adults what they are supposed to be doing when they're at work, right? What's expected of them? What are the things that they are responsible for? Why are they there? What are they supposed to be doing? And so the Bible has a job description for us in a lot of different ways. And today we're going to look specifically at how God has a job description for parents, grandparents, how God has a job description even for you kids, on what you are supposed to be doing and what God expects of you as well as what God expects of your parents. And so kids and adults and everyone in the room, I hope everybody's paying attention today because underneath all of this clouded black surprise on this table, there's going to be something that you'll want to pay attention to when we get there later. Okay, kids? So the suspense, I'll give you a clue. Let's see if I can find my clue. Here's the clue for what's going to be underneath that black tablecloth, okay? It's a ping pong ball. That's the only clue I'm going to give you to keep your mind maybe engaged later. So I promise there's no gimmicks. It's just to hopefully keep you in suspense. So um, everyone else, if, if you're not a kid or you're not a parent today, you might be tempted at this point to start checking out on me, going, okay, so we're going to have a parent sermon series. I'm not a parent. Maybe my kids are grown and gone. Maybe I'm a grandparent, whatever. Maybe even you're single. And you might be tempted right now to say, I'm going to have to endure five weeks of things that have nothing to do with me. I want to encourage you at this moment not to do that. Because we're going to be opening God's Word. And as you know, anytime we open this book, it is relevant to all people. Amen? Now, it may not be directly applicable to you right now today, but there are going to be truths in God's Word that you need to know. Because you are a part of a communal faith, are we not? So while I may not be a grandparent, I have grandparents in our church, and they matter to me because we're part of the family of God, amen? And while you may be a grandparent, or you might be single, or you might be married without kids, and you say, well, I don't have kids, so why does this matter? But there's kids in this room right now that actually will look at your life. You might be serving them in kids' ministry. You might be a role model to them. And so as a communal faith, everything we talk about for the next five weeks will be applicable to all of us in one way or another. So I just want to encourage you to fight any temptation to check out on me. Is that fair? Can we do that together? Because God's word is profitable for all people in all stages of life in any age. It's breathed out by God, and it's profitable for us. So we're doing this sermon series primarily because we believe that parents are God's design, the primary and best place where kids are supposed to learn and grow and learn about the faith. 
The question is not, do parents or grandparents have influence? You do. The question is, what kind of influence do you have, and are you leveraging that influence in a way that's in alignment with God's instructions? That's why we're doing this series. And it doesn't take much observation outside of these four walls. When we look at the culture, is our culture going to be helpful in helping us know how to raise our kids to know the Lord? That's a good answer. It's not. The culture is not going to be helpful. They're not providing any good answers. I was telling my wife last night that I saw an, an article in, I think it was the New York Times, that it was encouraging parents not to play with their kids. And I don't need to go into all the details about what they had to say. I, I was listening to a podcast where one author was even going on, she wrote a whole book and she's got a PhD and she's an expert on how to teach your kids to lie better. We don't need any lessons on that. You're exactly right because we're all born with a fallen nature and that's the natural default position is lying. And so we live in a culture that does not value children. It does not value the real roles of men and women. It does not, doesn't even value biology anymore. So the family is in crisis in our culture and if the church is going to want to actually be strong, we have to have a foundation where we know what God says about the family, what God says about children and parents and grandparents and how the church is supposed to cooperate and work in tandem with parents to help raise a godly generation. So what we're going to see today is, is from the text, it's timeless. It's as timeless as it was um, back in Paul's day and even back all the way time of, of Moses. We're going to see timeless truth today. And what we're going to read from the book of Ephesians is not a formula. It's not an A plus B equals C. It's a lifelong structure or framework that I think we can help see the components of what it means to be a godly family on mission. And we're also going to see the value of Paul bringing value to children as well in a unique way. So kids, adults, whether you've got a physical Bible or a, a tablet or you're watching online, click, turn, or tap to Ephesians chapter 6 with me. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul to the church, a group of people in a city called Ephesus. It was a very Roman context. It was very pagan. And so the, what Paul talks about here would be very kind of countercultural to the audience receiving it. So Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. You can follow along on the screen. Children. All right, kids, you paying attention? The first three verses of our text today are directly for you, all right? So every kid, pay attention on the screen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather with the saints today. There are many diverse people from many diverse walks of life, and God, I'm just grateful that your body is diverse, young and old, and from all different backgrounds, you've brought us together in unity under your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that today, God, that you would help us to see what the text says about family, about the role of parents and children and even the local church in how to raise a generation to know you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use me as you see fit to be an instrument in your hands. May you speak 
And may we hear your voice today in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is God's intended design for the family? I don't have time to go into all the things that the Bible says about the family, so I'm going to give you just a very few, very brief things that if you're new to the Mission Church, you might be wondering what we believe about these things, and so I'll just give them to you very quickly, very briefly. We believe marriage is a God-ordained institution between one man and one woman for life. We believe that husbands are to be submissive to Christ, to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and to lay down their lives for their wives and their children to die to self and to be leaders in their family that are willing to lead the way in sacrifice, service, love, and leadership. We believe that wives are equal in value and in dignity with their husbands, yet they have a different role at times to be submissive to their husbands in everything, and that their, their role is to be following the husband's leadership, yet equal in value and dignity. We believe that children are, to, are valuable and they are to obey their parents in everything and to honor their parents in everything, which includes even honoring parents as they age or become a widow or a widower. I've put some extra references there in your note guide if you'd like to look into more of that later, but just wanted to get that as a general framework for us this morning, which leads us to truth point number one in your note guide if you're filling that out or if you're following along online. Again, thank you for joining us if you're watching online as well. Truth point number one. God's design for anything and everything must always be the source of our directives. Directives is another word for instruction. So God's design for anything and everything must always be the source of our directives. We must follow his design. And God's design for the family will always transcend and supersede any of all of the self-centered philosophies of family and humanity that we read about today in our pagan culture. We cannot afford, church, to take our cues from the culture about how to raise a family. Amen? If they are not following the word of God, they have no advice to give in many respects. So there might be a few things we might be able to glean in, in major part. God's directives are the source for how we are to do family. So what are the directives we see in the text? We're going to see four of them today, but before we get to those four, I just have two observations, and again, kids, I want you to pay attention right now again, because I want you to notice something. The very first verse, Paul starts talking to who? Children. Paul assumes in this letter that children would have been in the audience when the Ephesian letter would have been read aloud. That assumes a lot of really cool things, does it not? Paul is, is writing in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit directly to children. He wanted children to hear what he had to say in the entire book of Ephesians. So parents, if you're even thinking, what's a good book to study with my kids? Well, Paul obviously wrote Ephesians with kids in mind because he speaks and he writes directly to them. I think that's a wonderful observation. Second observation is this. Notice that Paul says the word children. He doesn't just say, hey, boys. Or, hey, girls, he says children, because back in that day, the Roman culture did not value children at all, especially girls. Girls were almost worthless back in that day, which is very sad. They were considered a nuisance, a hindrance to being promiscuous, and they could have even been thrown away or literally abandoned. And that's why in the early church, you read about how powerful of a witness it was when the early church adopted children. They adopted orphans. They adopted them and truly cared for them because the Roman culture didn't value them at all. So when Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, 
He's valuing kids. He's raising the value of kids in that cultural moment. And I think that's a beautiful thing to us to remember that children are a gift from God. Amen? They are not easy to raise. Can I get an amen? But they are infinitely valued to the Lord. And the Bible speaks that those who have a, a quiver full of those arrows that he calls children, that you are a blessed man. So those are just two observations about children. Let's look now at the four directives. What is this text really telling us to do? What are the instructions? What's the framework? What are the job description? And kids, the Apostle Paul starts with you first. Directive number one, this will be in your note guide. Here's a fill in the blank. Children must obey their parents. Children, look up here for a minute. Would you say that with me? Read this with me on the screen, kids. Ready? Children must obey their parents. Not a lot of enthusiasm. I get it. I get it. I was a very disobedient little boy when I was growing up, and I regret that profoundly. Children, I know that it's hard sometimes to obey mom and dad. I know that it's not easy. I know that it often doesn't make sense, and it's definitely not what you want to do. But God tells you that obeying mom and dad is for your good. He also goes on in verse 1 to say, he answers the question for kids. If, if you're wondering, kids, why should I obey my mom and dad? Well, the Apostle Paul goes on and says, for this is right. Right? In verse 1, he says, this is right. In Colossians 3.20, Paul also says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And so kids, if you want to please the Lord, obey your mom and dad. Not only is it right, but it brings glory and honor to God, and he's pleased. And kids, can I get a show of hands, kids? How many of you have ever disobeyed mom and dad? We're going to be brave today. Again, I'm raising my hand first from the big stage. I've disobeyed mom and dad. Okay, thank you for being honest. We've all disobeyed. Parents, how many of you have disobeyed your parents? Raise your hand too so the kids don't feel. See? The human condition on full display. We've all disobeyed. The Bible tells, tells us that all of us have missed the mark and we've made the mistakes. But kids, I want you to remember that your disobedience is a reason that we get to see the beauty of the gospel. Jesus needed to come and to die for those of us who are disobedient so that we would have an opportunity to live with God someday for all, etern all of eternity. And so parents, I want to encourage you as a parent of a 12-year-old and a 5-year-old, we deal with disobedience fairly often in our home, and we're trying to get better at, and my kids are in the room, so they're like, oh no, he's going to talk about me. Um, we're trying to get better at helping our kids understand the gospel when they sin. Because when they sin, the goal is not to modify their behavior and tell them just to do better next time. The goal is to remind them that their sin is actually a part of the bigger story of what God is doing in all of history, right? We're all born into sin, and we all need to be forgiven of our sin, and the penalty for all of our sin actually is not going to fall on us. It fell on Jesus Christ. And so in the midst of sin, sometimes we'll try to take my five-year-old aside and we'll say, look, daughter, when you sin, you're disobeying mom and dad, and that breaks God's heart. But God sent Jesus to take care of all the mistakes that you're going to make and all the mistakes that I made. And by putting your faith and trust in him, you'll never have to face the eternal punishment and the penalty for all those sins. Jesus took that for you. And so even, even in moments of disobedience, parents, it's an opportunity to try to rehearse the gospel with them and remind them of the bigger picture, that it's not about morality, but it is about faith in Jesus Christ alone who gives us his righteousness through his death and his resurrection. So that's directive number one. Children must obey their parents. Directive number two, children must honor their parents. Now, why is this commanded? Well, Paul quotes the old Mosaic law from the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 12. Paul says, honor your father and mother, 
that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And this statement to honor your parents is the idea of respect, dignity, and valuing your parents and valuing their opinion. And it comes with a blessing, which the Exodus passage tells us it may go well with you. And it also comes with a promise that you would live long in the land. So clearly, this is not a prosperity statement that if you obey, you'll get all the things you ever want and your life will be overflowing with blessing. But it is a reality that God values obedience and honor and respect to parents who are, again, God's design for you kids. And so honor them, kids. As hard as it might be, as confusing as it might be sometimes to know why are mom and dad the way they are, they're so weird sometimes, right? Honor them, respect them, value them. And I promise you, when you get older, as I have done as a 36-year-old guy looking back when I was your age, I go, man, I see now what they were trying to teach me, and they did their best, and they did a good job. So directive number three, now Paul shifts gears from talking to kids, and he's, he's talking specifically to fathers here. Directive number three, fathers must not provoke their children to anger. Again, in the Roman context of this letter, the Romans were very harsh about almost everything. And they were especially harsh in the way that they treated children, in the way they even abused them and tossed them to the side and threw them away in a trash heap. And so Paul is being very specific to fathers here to say, look, don't be harsh. Do not provoke them to anger. And so if you read the rest of Ephesians, you'll know that in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul gives a lot of instructions about how you should handle yourself, a lot of your behavior, Christian living, putting off the old self, putting on the new self, no crude joking, you put away anger and malice and slander. Paul's talking about how, as an adult, whether you're a parent or not, how you should live and how you should behave. And that applies directly in the context of parenting as well. We should have a godly, Christ-like behavior with in front of our kids because, again, they're watching. They're watching. Everything we say, everything we do, they're watching. And then directive number four, he continues to speak to fathers, and he says fathers must bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Fathers must raise their children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, it's interesting here, moms, you're not off the hook, okay? He says fathers, but clearly, as you know, how God has designed marriage and how God speaks in other parts of the Bible, that moms do not have a lesser value or a lesser role here. But he is speaking directly to fathers as the leader of the home, as the leader in the family. The father is the one ultimately responsible for what happens in the home. And so it's interesting that Paul mentions it like that. And again, moms, I want to make sure that you're not feeling left out or lessened here because in Proverbs 1, 8, and 9 and Proverbs 6, 20, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. So in the design of God's, of institution of God's marriage, husband and wife being one flesh, united, harmonious, the husband leading the way, the wife following in that, they're doing it together. Nobody parents alone, hopefully. Hopefully God's design is you're working together. But the fathers, the ultimate weight of that responsibility, I believe, rests on you. And we see that even in the Ephesians 5 passage about marriage and family in general. And so, Let's unpack some of these instructions. Again, it's, he's talking to fathers, but moms, it applies to you as well. He starts off by saying, bring them up. Bring them up. This is a verb, okay, which requires action. And it's in the Greek, it's in the present imperative active sense. And you're going, oh, what is that? Who cares? 
Let me help you understand why that matters, okay? Present, what does it mean to be present? Right now, today, imperative, that means a command, an instruction that must be obeyed. It's not optional. And active, that means you're doing it regularly, right? Present, imperative, active. I mean, right now, you ought to be doing it regularly, and it's a command and instruction you should do. Does that make sense? So when you're bringing them up, this is a lifelong, active, starting today and tomorrow and the rest of your life, continually intentional about the command that you've been given by God through his word to bring up, to raise up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The same word that that Paul is using here for bring them up is the same word that he uses in chapter 5, verse 29, when he talks about how husbands are supposed to nourish and care for their own body in the same way that they care for their own wives. And so this idea of bringing them up really takes on the idea of nurturing, nourishing, and caring, and feeding, and cultivating a spiritual reality in the home, a spiritual intentionality in the home. And this isn't a one-off thing. This is, again, it's a lifelong journey of modeling and pointing them to Christ talking about Jesus at home and at church, cultivating an environment of faith and discipleship in the home, and letting your life be what your children see, and letting them see your pursuit of Jesus as the greatest privilege and the highest priority of your life. Let them see that as you are cultivating that in your home. And you've heard it said in discipleship, more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught, meaning My modeling, what they see, will easily be more caught by them. They will understand and they will grab on to that as what they should do, often more than they will grab on to what I say. So your life is teaching all the time. And that's true anywhere we go, right? Whether you're in the workplace as a single person or you are a parent, your life models your values, your priorities, your commitments, and your character. And so parents, more is caught than taught. So all the things, all those little moments those mundane moments, those are actually moments that are teachable for your kids whether you're teaching or not. The way you drive in traffic, the way you talk on the phone, the way you watch TV, the way you interact with neighbors, the way you interact with your own family, the way you interact with others in, in the church, the things you say at the dinner table, they're, they're watching, they're learning. So talk about your values, talk about your beliefs, talk about the motives behind the decisions that you make, talk about the experiences that you've had with God. Share your testimony. You know, one of the most powerful things you could share with your kids is what God has done to change you. Amen? What God has done in your life. Share the gospel. Share your testimony. And make it normal to talk about these things with your kids. So that's one aspect of bringing them up, cultivating an environment of discipleship. And he says to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So now let's look at discipline and instruction. Discipline. I don't know what goes through your head when you hear the word discipline, but is it good? <laughs> Often not. Uh, mine, my upbringing with discipline was physical abuse and violence, and so discipline's not a great word for me sometimes, but it doesn't matter what my experience is. What matters is what God's Word says about discipline. So how does the Bible define discipline? I want to give you a working definition that kind of encapsulates what we see in the Bible, Old and New Testament. Um, this is not the definitive definition, but it is one that hopefully will help. And I meant to make a slide, and I think I forgot, so listen closely, and I apologize for that. Discipline. Dis- oh, maybe I didn't forget to make a slide. There you go. I forgot that I made the slide. Uh, the process of teaching, instruction, and correction by which one learns to be obedient to God or parents 
which results in blessing, maturity, and a life that is pleasing to God. It's a process, right? Discipline is the process of teaching and molding and shaping and correcting, and it ultimately results in blessing and maturity and a life that's pleasing to God if it's in alignment with Him. Now some, I'm not gonna get into discipline today, but some parents might struggle with discipline for a variety of reasons. And there's some who might even say, oh, we're not gonna discipline our kids because it's, it's, that's, that's, too un, that's too harsh, it's too unloving. And I'd just like to encourage you that Proverbs 13.24 would disagree with that theory. Proverbs 13.24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, obviously, uh, discipline should always be done in a godly, self-controlled, wise, loving manner. It should never be reactionary, violent, or hostile, or any of those types of things. That's a whole other thing. That's not what the passage is saying. But it is saying if you are going to withhold any kind of discipline, any kind of instruction, if you're going to withhold teaching and training your kids, that is actually unloving, the Bible says. It's unloving to let kids do whatever they want. It's unloving to let them pick their gender. It's unloving to let them pick what they want to do all the time. It's unloving to let them do whatever they want because they don't know what they don't know. And you parents or grandparents and other spiritual mentors that are in their life, you are God's design to keep them on the straight and narrow to the best of your ability. Listen to how the Bible talks about discipline as a very, very good thing because the Lord disciplines us, does he not? And so if the Lord disciplines us, then it only makes sense that we will be disciplining our kids, again, in a godly way. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11 is going to be up on the screen. Let me get there here. He says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. Catch that. He disciplines us for our good. In the same way, parents, we discipline our kids for their good. He disciplined us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Discipline produces righteousness and holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. That's true. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So notice that discipline produces a lot of good things. Godly discipline produces a lot of really good things. Godly discipline is clearly a part of the discipleship process. Godly discipline is a good thing that will result in righteousness and blessing and holiness to those who've been trained by it, meaning it should be a regular part of how you train up your kids. We see this in Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So parents, don't be afraid to discipline your children in a gentle, firm, loving, self-controlled way, because doing that will bring correction and training to do what is right, 
how we are to please the Lord in alignment with the scriptures. Keep in mind that the goal of discipline is not necessarily that your child will never rebel again. That's, that'll happen. The goal is that they would learn to respect and honor your opinion and to live faithfully to you as well as faithfully to God. Instruction. What does it mean to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord? This word is only used three times in the New Testament, but it carries with it the idea of admonition, counsel, and warning through teaching, right? So this is about improving a person's ability to think about all of life through the lens of God's truth. Instruction, how do I think about any situation in life with a biblical worldview? What does God's word say about school, friends, money, parenting, church, all sorts of things. What does God's word have to say? I need godly instruction to learn those things. And parents, you are to be giving godly instruction through the word of God to your kids on all matters of life. So you are God's plan, parents, for teaching your kids what is good, right, true, and in alignment with God's word. So to raise children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, it's a command for all moms, all dads, and it's also really grandparents you can easily come into, into this, and you should. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. We'll actually have a specific passages that talk about the role of grandparents. So don't worry, grandparents. We're going to hit on you specifically uh, in a few weeks. So before we move on, I want to make one last comment to fathers. Because while Paul, again, I'm sure, included this for mom and dad, he did speak specifically to fathers. So fathers, you are the spiritual leader of your home. You have been given that God-ordained directive to lead, to sacrifice, and to set the pace, and to set the purpose for your family. You are the primary role model in your home. That is how it is. The question is, what kind of role model are you? How are you doing with this directive that God has given you? Are your priorities in the right order? And if you're like me, it's easy for those priorities to, to move around and get altered and get out of order. Can anyone else relate with that? Anyone else's priorities ever get out of whack? I know mine do. So the goal is not perfection. That has never been the goal. You've not been called to perfection. You've been called to faithfulness. But are your priorities Jesus, your spouse, and then your kids? Or has work creeped in there? Or has the golf game creeped in there? Is your making money creeped in there? Vacation creeped in there? Whatever it might be. Do you have time for your kids and your wife in cultivating this type of a home where you have a family that's on mission? Do you have the time and energy and margin? And if you don't, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider what it would look like to make those priorities get in alignment and to begin taking steps in that direction. It's a lifelong process. I am far from an expert. I fail many times. But it is intentional choice to order those priorities in that order. Jesus, my wife, my kids, and then ministry. So TMC, as much as I love you, you are my fourth priority. Jesus is first, my wife is second, my kids are third, and you are fourth. That's how it has to be. That's what God's word says it has to be, and I'm doing my best to not mix those up. And I hope you'll join me in that journey together. So this is God's design. Children are to obey and honor their parents. Kids, I want to encourage you. All the kids look up here for a second. Kids, can you look up here? Eyes, obey mom and dad. Listen to mom and dad. Honor them. Respect them. Listen to them. They do love you more than you know. They have your best interest at heart in all things. Listen, obey, and follow their example. Mom and dad, um, give yourself grace in the moments that you fail because God is a God of grace. You will make mistakes as much as I do. But I also want to encourage you with one thing, and then we're getting to the surprise under the blanket here. Okay, you ready? We're almost there. 
parents don't fall for the lie that your kids are just going to naturally become strong followers of Christ by osmosis or just by bringing them to church every week. You are the primary influence. And this leads us to truth point number two. Truth point number two. Take note of this, please. The church, the local church, is an important, essential, and vital supplement for family discipleship. But the home is designed to be the primary place for children to receive training and instruction in faith and spiritual practice. So the goal here is not to diminish the church. The goal is to elevate, parents, your reality of influence on the life of your kids. So parents, you have a profound potential to impact your kids' spiritual life. So how do I know that? You watching up here, kids? You ready for the fun? Okay. So kids, parents, all of you, in the life of a child, we're going to start with this ping pong ball. This ping pong ball represents 72 hours of influence in the life of a child. 72 hours, okay? In the life of a child from 0 to 18 years old, if you bring your kids to church every single week, two times a week, from 0 to 18, not missing any absences, that'll be about 2,000 hours that the church will have to influence your kid. That's a lot of hours, isn't it? That looks like this. This is 2,000 hours of influence. Okay? There's 28 ping pong balls in there. That's a lot of influence. 2,000 hours is nothing to, to just wave your hand at. This is important. And we as the church are committed to doing this well with excellence and enthusiasm in our children's ministries and our youth ministries forever. We will not stop doing it. We will do it with excellence. But this is what our influence looks like if your kids never miss a week for 18 years. Okay? In addition to that, a lot of you uh, probably go to school somewhere, and your school, the time kids, parents, they, they go to school from 0 to 18, the schools that they go to, whether it's private, public, whatever, they have about 16,000 hours of influence. 16,000 hours. That's way more than the church. So if you go to school, this is what the influence looks like over your life that the school system will have on your kids. That's why picking a good school matters. We're not going to get into that. But you as parents, you have to make a choice who influences your kid and how they learn. 50, excuse me, 16,000 hours is the school. Okay? And then lastly, but certainly not least then, we have parents. Yeah, whoa. Exactly. That's the point of this illustration. Whoa. Parents, 18 years, you will have 54,000 hours to influence your kid. 54,000 hours. From the time they're zero to 18. I can't overstate it enough. This speaks for itself. All of these things are good things, okay? None of these are bad things on the table, okay? The point of this illustration is to show you parents that this is God's design. He has given you massive potential to influence your kids towards Jesus Christ and in the faith. Massive. It pales in comparison to the school, and it pales so much in comparison to the church. And this is really the main thing I want you parents to see today is this. We will not stop doing this, but if you think, I'm just going to bring my kid to church every week, and they're going to become great followers of Christ because I got them to church. Is that really, is that really going to, you think that's a really good strategy? 
Again, we're going to do this well. We love your kids. But this is, this is a supplement. You are the primary. And we want to partner with you, parents, so then it'll look like this. <laughs> we want to partner with you. We want to partner with you in your primary role. Amen? So we're going to leave this display up over the next four weeks. And at the end of the four weeks, at the end of the series, we're going to encourage all of you to come up and take a ping pong ball to remember this illustration, to remember this reality that you have profound potential. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, I'm a grandparent or I'm unmarried or I'm single, again, you still have some time in here. Those of you who serve in kids ministry, you have influence in here. And I am a personal example of the result of a person who did not grow up in a great Christian home, but I had good Christian men and women who were in this category for me. They were in this category. They profoundly impacted my life. And by the grace of God alone, I am what I am today. So this matters. All of this matters. But parents, never outsource it. Never outsource your influence. You have profound potential, profound influence. So the question is not, do you have influence, parents, but what kind of influence are you having and are you leveraging it for the kingdom? Are you leveraging it for the kingdom? Okay, truth point number three. And this kind of summarizes our key takeaways. God has designed parents to be the most influential person in their kids' lives. The potential for great impact and influence is there. So it's not do you have influence, but what kind of influence are you having? So parents, I just want to give you a few questions for you to think about as you're listening to this and as you see this today. A few questions that I think are in your note guide as well. How are you influencing your kids? We all have room to improve. That's a given, including me as a pastor. So much room to grow. What are they seeing in your life? Are they learning to value Jesus, the church, and the kingdom? more than all the earthly pursuits of materialism that they could have? Are they learning to value faithfulness to God over career and sports and hobbies or making a ton of money or being a public influencer? Are they learning humility and repentance? Are they learning and seeing shallow faith and hypocrisy? Are they seeing a loving, Christ-centered marriage built on commitment? What are they seeing in your home? What's your next step? Parents, you've been designed by God and commissioned by Jesus to make disciples, have you not? The first and best and primary place for you to make disciples of Jesus Christ are in your home. Grandparents, if you've got grandkids and need to know Jesus, that's the first and best place to start making disciples as well. So, parents, are you willing to embrace this God-ordained calling today? To live as a family on mission, to exercise and leverage your influence for the sake of the spiritual health of your children? And remember that all of us fail. I fail pretty much every day in some way as being a parent, but I want you to encourage you with something that I've been trying to learn from the Lord as well. Just because we fail doesn't mean we are failures. Right? Just because we fail doesn't mean we are failures. That's not who we are. And I struggle with that at times. But remember that in Christ, we stand adopted, we stand redeemed, we stand forgiven, we stand made alive in Christ and our performance as a parent or otherwise does not dictate God's love. In Christ, you are loved perfectly by a God who sent Jesus who maintains your justified status before him. One commentator writes that Christ's atonement covers our failures from God's eyes so that he only sees Christ's perfection when he sees us. That's good news, is it not? 
That when God looks down at us, he doesn't see all the failures. He sees Christ's perfection. What's what it means to be covered in the blood of the Lamb. And one other encouragement that I want to give to you as parents is this. Don't fake it. Don't fake it till you make it. Don't hide. Don't pretend that everything's great. Don't pretend that you don't have need of help. I'm a, I have made mistakes. My wife has made mistakes. We are on this journey. Many in this room have been on this journey further than I have. There's much wisdom to be gleaned from this church body, and that's why we are a body. That's why we are a family. So don't hide and don't pretend. That'll only cripple your journey. One author has said, the great and obvious difference between the Apostle Paul and us is that the Apostle Paul bragged about his weaknesses, but we hide them. Paul boasted in his weakness. Why? So that Christ would be seen as supreme. He says, his grace is sufficient for me. And parents, regardless of where you're at today, my desire is not to make you feel guilty or to feel shame or to make you feel bad about where you're at. The goal is to encourage you to get in alignment with God's plan and to move together. And so if you find yourself feeling um, any of those things, be reminded that God's grace is sufficient for you. His strength and his empowerment through the Spirit are sufficient for you. And we are going to do our best to equip you as best we can. And so coming up in September... Uh, We're going to have a family discipleship workshop for three weeks on Sunday mornings. I think there should be a slide for this too. From three weeks on Sunday mornings, starting September 17th, from 8.30 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. We're going to have a family discipleship workshop. There'll be child care provided for all ages, and our goal is to help you with some of the practical tools of how do I create a disciple-making culture in my home? How do I disciple my kids? How do I leverage my influence? So that starts on September 17th, or if you look at the back of your note guide, the details are there as well, and you can even register right there with the QR code, or you can register for the next couple weeks in the email blast. So parents, we're with you. We want to partner with you. We're in this together as a family. All of you in this building have the potential to impact each other as well as the children that we are raising in this church. And so let's do that together as a body with godly wisdom. Amen? If you are here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the last thing that I want to say to you is that it's the most important relationship you'll ever have in your life. It's more important than family. It's more important than friends. And so if you are here and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you have not confessed to following him and submitting to him as Lord and as King, I want to encourage you to turn from your selfishness and from your sin today. Christ literally came to this earth and died the sin that you committed. He died in your place on the cross He took all the penalty, all the wrath of God. He took it for you. He died in your place. And he rose from the grave three days later, conquering sin and death. And the only requirement to receive free life, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and adoption into his family, the only requirement is that you believe in him by faith alone. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. If you haven't put your faith in Christ alone, meaning no works, no religion, just Christ you haven't done that today is the day to do that because we will all stand before God for eternity and answer for what we've done in this life and if we're not covered in his blood we will be separated from him for all eternity and so the invitation is on the table for you today come and talk to me if you have questions about what it means to be a Christian what it means to understand the gospel I'd love to read the Bible with you and talk with you about it my contact information is on the screen and I'd love to connect with you so please don't leave here today if you don't know where you're at with Jesus Christ and lastly Um, It's our desire here at TMC, you know this, it's our desire to be a disciple-making church. And we can't have a disciple-making church, honestly, unless we have disciple-making families. And it starts in the home. 
and it comes out of there, and we will partner with you, help you, equip you, cheer for you, and we will also continue to exercise our influence on your kids with excellence and godliness and truth. So let's all do our part in joining Jesus in his mission to make disciples. Amen? All right. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time uh, together today. I thank you, God, that you've given us a very clear instruction in your word on how you have organized the family, how you have given a high calling to moms and dads. And I pray that we would exercise that calling, that we would exercise that potential, that we would be intentional to lead our children, our grandchildren, and the children of this church to influence them towards Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, that we have a church that is so faithful to love, serve, and to influence our kids here at this church. Thank you for blessing us with people who care deeply about the needs of our kids and our youth, as well as all of the adults. God, thank you for the church that you have given us. Thank you for the way that you are growing this church into maturity and into greater transformation. We continue to want to see more of that Holy Spirit, and we thank you for your work. Equip us now to be bold and courageous in this area. And may we continue to lift our praises to you and give you all the honor and all the glory that is due to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is On Mission. The Mission Church is located at 12001 Ridgemont Drive in Urbandale. To learn more about our ministry, visit our website at themissiondsm.org or call us at 515-255-2122. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. We would be honored for you to join us. Have a blessed day, and thank you for listening to On Mission.